This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SCP-5027 Object Class Euclid Special Containment Procedures SCP-5027 is contained within a high-security humanoid containment chamber at Site-65. The chamber is isolated from adjoining containment cells and utility lines on Site-65 to prevent the spread of SCP-5027's effects. Two Scrant Reality Anchors, SRA, are installed below the chamber. If one or more of the SRAs fail, repair or replacement of the devices is designated as Level 5 Priority and Site-65 is to enter lockdown until containment measures have been reestablished. Personnel are not permitted to enter SCP-5027's containment chamber at any time. Direct physical contact with SCP-5027 is strictly forbidden. Requests by SCP-5027 are sent to Dr. Williams for processing. SCP-5027 is a male humanoid who claims to be a 27-year-old male individual named Seth Wimmer, residing in Bayard, Saskatchewan. Scans in the public database revealed that Seth Wimmer was officially declared deceased after a head-on collision with an intoxicated driver on 5-17-1997. SCP-5027 is in a permanent state of quantum superposition. Contrary to the current theories of quantum superposition, SCP-5027 does not settle into any of its states when observed. SCP-5027 claims to have no memory of how it obtained its anomalous properties. Research is ongoing to determine the cause of this. SCP-5027 appears in two positions simultaneously where its living state is standing upright, while its lower limbs are phased into its deceased state, which lies on the floor. Observers report decomposed tissue on SCP-5027's body, phasing into its healthy counterpart. After prolonged observations of SCP-5027, observers often experience confusion, aggravation, and mild headaches. When SCP-5027 makes direct contact with objects or living organisms, they will enter a permanent state of quantum superposition. SCP-5027's effect does not affect any inert elements, such as soil, rock, or wood. Affected inanimate objects are able to transmit SCP-5027's effect to other objects and life forms through direct physical contact. 
Affected life forms, however, are unable to transmit SCP-5027's effect further and will remain in a state of quantum superposition, expiring after an hour has elapsed. Activating an SRA near an affected inanimate object will nullify the anomalous effects as long as it remains within the object's surroundings. If the SRA is deactivated or removed from the area, SCP-5027's effects remanifests in said object. For unknown reasons, all animate life forms affected by SCP-5027 remain in their state of quantum superposition in the vicinity of an SRA. On September 14, 1998, several news reports arose from a town of Birch River, Saskatchewan, with eyewitness statements testifying an abnormal sighting of multiple intact infrastructures phasing into collapsed debris below. Due to the media's poor understanding of such anomalies, Foundation intervention was able to be kept minimal. Foundation agents were dispatched from Regina, Saskatchewan, to implement necessary measures for information suppression and falsification, as well as the initiation of a covert operation to investigate the cause behind the event. During the missions, two agents initiated direct physical contact with affected infrastructures, resulting in their eventual expiration. At this time, SCP-5027 approached the unaffected agents and warned them of its effects. SCP-5027's body language exhibited signs of emotional distress and confusion, though it made no explicit acts of hostility toward the agents, suspecting reality disturbances as a possible cause for the event. Dr. Hart of Hume Research was contacted. The use of an SRA to reverse all anomalous activity in the town was suggested. As such, an MTF unit was dispatched from nearby Site-31 to the area with two portable SRAs while Foundation agents directed traffic away from the town and maintained visual contact with SCP-5027. After the installation of the SRAs to reverse the effects, all civilians in the town were anesthetized and all news reports were amended as part of a disinformation campaign. During the transfer of SCP-5027 to Site-31, one MTF member initiated direct physical contact with SCP-5027. On-site guards misinterpreted this as an act of hostility by SCP-5027 and threatened it before the MTF unit was able to intervene. SCP-5027 subsequently entered a manic state and refused to comply with instructions. Dr. Prash, a researcher in Site-31, has volunteered to be assigned to SCP-5027. SCP-3060 Object Class Keter Special Containment Procedures Individual instances of SCP-3060 are to be kept in high-security lockers within the storage wing of Site-64. All testing involved SCP-3060 requires the approval of both the Site Ethics Committee and Site Command. No more than four individuals may be infected by SCP-3060 for testing purposes at any given time. Individuals infected by SCP-3060 are to be kept in Type 1 standard humanoid containment chambers within the Humanoid Anomaly Containment Wing of Site-64. 
Cells have been equipped with alarm systems to prevent instances from entering REM sleep outside of designated sleeping hours, approximately 2200 to 0600 local time. During designated sleeping hours, all personnel are to evacuate from the radius of each infected individual's anomalous effect. Following termination of any individual infected by SCP-3060, containment personnel are to initiate a site-wide lockdown and begin the hypnose protocol to prevent the spread of infection. Instances of SCP-3060 are small medical devices that superficially resemble continuous positive airway pressure, CPAP, machines. The individual materials that compose SCP-3060 instances are non-anomalous and operate identically to a typical CPAP machine of its size and make. The Foundation currently has five instances of SCP-3060 in its custody. SCP-3060's anomalous effects become apparent when worn by a sleeping human. When an individual wearing an instance of SCP-3060 enters their second REM cycle, a humanoid incorporeal entity, hereafter referred to as SCP-3060-A, will appear within a 5-meter radius of the individual and stand over them until they wake up. At this point, SCP-3060-A will disappear, and the individual wearing SCP-3060 will become infected. From that point on, regardless as to whether the individual wears SCP-3060, the SCP-3060-A entity will appear when they enter their second room cycle each night and remain until awakening. While instances of SCP-3060-A appear as featureless silhouettes upon first manifestation, they quickly take on a unique shape based on each infected individual. As such, SCP-3060-A entities have no standard appearance. While a full list of observed SCP-3060-A instances can be found in Document 3060-B, notable observed instances include a figure roughly the size of a human infant composed entirely of fused teeth, a humanoid superficially resembling an elderly woman dressed in dark clothes lacking a mouth or eyes, the instance's arms are both severely injured with compound fractures visible. A partially disintegrating humanoid composed of ash, dressed in red lingerie. A naked humanoid covered in tire tracks and showing signs of severe crush injuries. A humanoid whose torso consists of a large mouth. And a clown. While an SCP-3060-A entity stands within the presence of an infected individual, any additional human subject that enters a 50-meter radius of the infected will enter a catatonic state. At this point, an additional instance of SCP-3060-A will appear within the proximity of the infected individual. The additional SCP-3060-A entity will then approach the catatonic subject, phasing through solid matter if the subject is in a separate room. Upon arriving at the subject, the new SCP-3060-A instance will phase its hand through the subject's skull and then vanish, causing the subject to immediately fall asleep. All subjects touched by the SCP-3060-A entity in this manner become new instances of SCP-3060 infected upon awakening. Testing has shown that awakening the infected, whether through physical or auditory stimuli, following the appearance of an SCP-3060-A entity will cause the latter to immediately vanish and catatonic subjects to regain movement. Additionally, SCP-3060-A entities will not approach non-catatonic subjects outside the range of the infected individual's anomalous properties. 
non-human subjects are immune to all of SCP-3060's effects. All attempts to communicate with SCP-3060-A instances have thus far been met with failure. SCP-3060 infection has long-term effects on the health of the infected persons. After at least three days, infected individuals often begin to display fatigue, mood changes, impaired performance, and memory problems, even after obtaining a full night's sleep. Infected individuals often report frequent nightmares, though no central themes or correlations have been observed in the content of said dreams. Within a month, infected individuals will often develop visual and auditory hallucinations, as well as delusions that their mind is no longer their own, but rather has been stolen by someone or something. Soon after, infected individuals descend into full psychosis as they become unable to distinguish the content of their dreams from reality. In extreme cases, after at least two months of infection, hair loss, canida sabida, partial or complete blindness, somatic complaints, cataplexy, and alien limb syndrome have been observed. Attempts by medical staff to alleviate these conditions in the long term have thus far been met with failure, though symptoms are delayed in individuals with previous diagnosis of insomnia. Sleep deprivation has likewise proven effective in delaying the onset of the symptoms of SCP-3060 infection. Research into a cure is currently ongoing. If no human subject enters the area of an SCP-3060 infected individual's effect during REM sleep for seven consecutive days, or the infected individual dies, an instance of SCP-3060-A will appear. The SCP-3060-A entity will then proceed to search for the nearest sleeping human. Upon locating this individual, SCP-3060-A will stand over them until they enter their next REM sleep cycle, at which point the SCP-3060-A entity will reach into their skull and vanish. At this point, the sleeping individual will become infected. Should the sleeping individual awaken during the process, or SCP-3060-A be unable to locate a suitable subject within three hours, it will vanish without spreading the SCP-3060 infection. Addendum 3060A Recovery Foundation agents first became aware of SCP-3060 on March 21, 2015, when the entire census of the Portland Sleep Medicine Clinic became infected following a volunteer sleep study using SCP-3060 to prevent hypnagogic sleep paralysis. All infected individuals thereafter were brought into Foundation custody, and all records related to the study seized by Foundation operatives. None of the records seized indicated an origin of the SCP-3060 instances, and all staff associated with the project died in their sleep shortly upon being brought into Foundation custody. Autopsies revealed large quantities of SCP-3966-A within the staff member's cerebral spinal fluid. An investigation into Dr. Cynthia Zhao, the primary investigator of the Portland Sleep Medicine Study associated with SCP-3060, uncovered her to be a frequent user of SCP-2876. Upon NTF Omicron Rho, the Dream Team, investigation into potential Onroe envelopment in the creation of SCP-3060, contacts within the Onri Collective have denied responsibility for SCP-3060 and have indicated that SCP-2876 app has encountered no less than four internal breaches of security, particularly in areas of user information since its launch. MTF Omicron Rose investigation is still ongoing. 
Addendum 3060B Video Log Transcript of Test 3060-03 Forward The following events took place on April 2nd, 2015 as part of the initial containment experiments for SCP-3060. An SCP-3060 infected individual was placed in a standard humanoid containment cell with instructions to go to sleep after being fitted with sensors to monitor brainwave patterns and vital signs. D-1260, D-2860, D-2106, and D-2306 were placed nearby cells within the same holding block as the infected individual. All cells were equipped with CCTV cameras feeding to the same monitor bank. At approximately 2340, the infected individual entered her second REM cycle. 2345-21 D-1260s playing solitaire at the table in his cell. D-2860 is reading on her cot. D-2106 is pacing within her cell. D-2306 has fallen asleep sitting in his cell's chair. 234558 SCP-3060-A-1 appears to be standing over the infected individual and resembles a headless humanoid with arms and legs replaced by spinal columns. Shortly after, an additional four instances of SCP-3060-A appear. Each additional instance resembles a featureless humanoid silhouette. The instances remain standing over the infected for the next five minutes. All D-Class personnel appear to have become catatonic. Those D-Class awake have expressions of distress upon their face. 235100 SCP-3068-2 turns and leaves the infected cell, phasing through the door and entering the hallway, where it then phases into D-2306's cell. SCP-3068-2 stands over D-2306 for several seconds, then bends over and places its face near D-2306's ear before reaching into his skull. 2353-30 SCP-3068-3 phases through the floor and vanishes for several moments before phasing up through the floor of D-2860 cell through her cot, then through her. SCP-3068-3 remains motionless for several moments as it looks down at D-2860, who appears to be struggling against her catatonic state. SCP-3068-3 then slowly reaches out and closes D-2860's eyes with its hand, and then reaches into her skull. 235545 SCP-3060-A-2 removes its hand from D-2306's skull and takes the shape of a male human with mathematical symbols in place of facial features. SCP-3060-A-2 vanishes. 235615 SCP-3060-A-4 climbs up the wall and phases through the ceiling and vanishes for several moments before phasing into D-2006's cell through the ventilation grate. The instant drops down and walks around D-2106 as she struggles against her catatonic state. D-2106 falls over. SCP-3060-A4 wraps its arms around D-2106 and begins to caress her head. After several moments of this, SCP-3060-A4 reaches into D-2106's skull. 2357-46 SCP-3068-3 removes its hand from D-2860's skull and takes the shape of a humanoid composed of a tightly wound thread. For 
variety of spiders are visible crawling in and out of the openings along SCP-3060-A3's body. SCP-3060-A3 vanishes. 235842 SCP-3060-A5 leaves the infected cell, phasing through the walls from cell to cell before finally arriving at D-1260's cell. SCP-3060-A5 stands across the table from D-1260, staring at him for several moments while caressing his hand. D-1260 struggles against his catatonic state. SCP-3060-A5 reaches into D-1260's skull. 00047 SCP-3060-A4 removes its hand from D-2100's skull and takes the shape of a featureless white humanoid dressed in a foundation lab coat. SCP-3060-A4 vanishes. 00230 SCP-3060-A5 removes its hand from D-1260's skull and takes the shape of a featureless black humanoid dressed in an amalgamation of paraphernalia from various authoritarian regimes. SCP-3060-A5 vanishes. 00538 SCP-3060-A1 remains standing over the infected until she awakens at approximately 4.50. Addendum 3060-C Interview Log 3060-6 The following interview was conducted as part of a routine mental health monitoring for SCP-3060-infected individuals on 3-3-2016. Interviewed, Researcher Joanna Corbin. Interviewer, Researcher Roland Farrow. Forward. The interview took place approximately one and a half months following researcher Corbin's infection by SCP-3060 during the 15-1-2016 containment breach for an instance of SCP-3060-A. Researcher Corbin had begun to report visual and auditory hallucinations one week earlier. Due to her knowledge on SCP-3060's effects and prior diagnosis of insomnia, Researcher Corbin has shown remarkable resistance to SCP-3060's hallucinogen effects. Begin Log Evening, Joanna. Evening, Roland. Sorry if I'm not exactly 100% today. To be frank, I'm exhausted, and it's hard to concentrate when the walls are bleeding. Don't sit there. Researcher Farrell pauses as he begins to sit in his chair. He then stands and straightens his lab coat. May I ask why? Trust me, Roland, I'll be much, much more composed if I don't have to watch you sit in that chair. The hallucinations have progressed to that severity already. They have. It's like my eyes are constantly getting these little pop-ups of nonsense, and then there's this fucking voice that keeps commenting on things. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Shut up. The auditory hallucinations are constant at this point, then. Just the one. I personally like to think it's the voice of the 3060A that's creeping on me, but I have no way to prove that, and it's not like it's going to tell the truth. Researcher Corbin rubs her eyes for several moments and sighs heavily. I'm so fucking tired right now, Roland. Sleeping is becoming a chore. A nightmare-filled chore that leaves me feeling more exhausted than when I went to bed, and when I wake up, it's like I'm taking the nightmares with me. 
like the barrier between my consciousness and subconsciousness has become a sieve or something. These auditory hallucinations, what are they? Research Corbin covers her mouth with her hand and stifles a mixture of tears and laughter. She then points at Researcher Faroe. <laughs> Your face has just melted off, Roland. We should probably hurry this up. I don't know how much more I can take. Right, right. These auditory hallucinations, what kind of things do they say? Comment on thoughts I have, on things I see, sometimes ask me about myself. I have to say, when the other infected said that they felt like their mind wasn't their own, I didn't really know what they were saying, but I sure as hell do now. Do you believe that the voice is trying to control you? Command you? Uh, influence you in any way? Fuck if I know, Roland. If it is, it's doing a pretty shitty job at it. Honestly, I'd say it's just here for the headspace and to enjoy the ride, but again, what the hell do I know? Researcher Corbin then closes her eyes and places her head and her arms upon the table. Can we be done, please? I'm afraid we have just a few more things to get through before we're done. Bear with me. All right. Researcher Farrow quickly writes down several sentences on a piece of notebook paper. How are you describing this auditory hallucination? You make it sound like a separate intelligence. I'm writing down a few questions that I'm going to want you to ask it. Researcher Faroe slides the piece of paper to Researcher Corbin. Corbin eyes the document for several moments, then turns her head toward the edge of the table. Corbin then sighs in frustration before rubbing her temples. The words marched like ants off the page, Roland. I can't read this. I'll dictate them, then. I got a hunch, but I'm going to need some confirmation before I can move forward in that direction. Researcher Faroe takes the piece of paper back and begins to read aloud. 1. What do you call yourself? 2. Are you a separate entity from Joanna Corbin? 3. Do you exist within her mind space, or are you based in some other... Researcher Corbin rapidly backs away from Researcher Pharaoh in fear, flipping over the table on the way. Jesus! Fire! Roland, fire! Researcher Corbin removes her jacket and tackles Pharaoh to the ground, and attempts to snuff out a fire on Pharaoh's person. Security personnel intervene and pull Corbin off Pharaoh, keeping her restrained as she struggles to free herself for a total of two minutes. Eventually, Corbin yields. Pharaoh then orders security personnel to release her. Corbin proceeds to lower herself onto the floor and crawl away. She then sits in the far corner of the room in tears. Christ, Joanna, what the hell was that? You got to the second question and... And then you burst into flames, Roland. I, I, I couldn't watch you die like that. I can't answer these questions. I can't fucking do this. Researcher Pharaoh approaches Researcher Corbin in an attempt to comfort her. Corbin immediately pulls herself into the fetal position. Get away from me! Researcher Pharaoh pauses for several moments and nods in agreement. Very well. I'll leave the list with you. See if you can ask them when you have a less visually clustered moment. Researcher Pharaoh leaves. 
Researcher Corbin attempts to read the list again. After what appear to be multiple attempts, she screams out in frustration, crumples the paper, and throws it against the nearby wall. Researcher Corbin then places her head in her hands. End log. Addendum 3060-D. Update 2210-2016. On October 22, 2016, a Carevere pharmaceutical advertisement for SCP-3060 appeared in over 100 publications in the United States, Canada, and Europe. By the time mass censorship protocols could be enacted and the source of the ad was traced to Carrier Logistics Warehouse in Seattle, Washington, approximately 3,000 instances of SCP-3060 had been shipped, with MTF Alpha 4, Pony Express, operatives able to stop 2,700 in transit. An additional 270 instances of SCP-3060 were later captured at their destinations. Currently, 30 instances of SCP-3060 remain uncontained. Warehouse staff were oblivious to the effect of the devices when interviewed, having all been hired within the last two weeks. Over half of these individuals were users of SCP-2876 prior to their hire date. All warehouse staff brought into Foundation custody died in their sleep shortly afterward. As before, large quantities of SCP-3966-A were found within the warehouse staff's CSF during autopsy. An investigation into both Carevere Pharmaceuticals and Carevere Logistics is ongoing. As of 2510-2016, an unknown number of SCP-3060 infected individuals are currently believed to be uncontained, with outbreaks occasionally occurring in several major metropolitan areas. Attempts to contain SCP-3060 infected individuals are ongoing. Due to SCP-3060 remaining largely undetectable within the general public until the end-stage symptoms manifest, several mobile task forces are on standby to investigate reports of multiple psychotic breaks and acts of violence occurring within a short time frame within the same geographic area. SCP-3060's object class has subsequently been updated to Keter. Pandemic levels of SCP-3060 infection are currently being considered A potential AK-class end-of-world scenario. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SCP-5417 Object Glass Keter Special Containment Procedures Further anomalous activity originating from SCP-5417 must be prevented at all costs. SCP-5417 is a villa-styled residential house located in Kailua, Hawaii, which is impregnable to physical force. On 9-13-2024, the entire human population was transported to SCP-5417. 
as the space within SCP-5417 was not sufficient to accommodate 8.6 billion individuals at once, this event resulted in the majority of humanity being killed instantly. The primary cause of death was massive crush damage from high pressure. The resultant pulverized mass of human remains evacuated through all available openings. Viscera was dispersed over a radius of 30 kilometers, with some entering low Earth orbit. Several doors and windows across SCP-5417 were open when its anomalous properties manifested. Due to this, a small number of humans were ejected from the structure alive. The survivors were primarily those who had initially appeared in close proximity to the exit, as there was no opportunity to navigate within SCP-5417. At present count, a total of 22 humans remain alive, of which only three are Foundation employees. This has necessarily caused a BK-class lifted-veil loss of secrecy scenario. Methods of bolstering the human population are currently being investigated. Addendum Okay, it's recording. Footsteps, squishing, sounds of insects buzzing. Person gulps. God, even with the mask, it's foul. I better not hurl, that'll just make it worse. <sighs> okay, okay. This is Cameron Park, officially D-307. I'm gonna... I'm out here to visit the house. See for myself. Everyone else stays away from it. They hate the smell, they hate how it looks, they hate what it reminds them of. But that's just... They're just hiding. That's what they do. 99% of humanity is gone, and they hide in their offices, and they write their little documents, and they fill them with this bullshit. Must be prepared at all costs. Like they could even... There's a small crunching sound, and then footsteps stop. It's just a tooth. Footsteps resume. They tried to find out who was who, you know, to bury them, but it never worked out. Too hard to tell them apart when they were... Yeah. Researcher Shen tried to use dental records, but the whole internet was going down by then. Even the Foundation servers, and I heard those are supposed to last forever. The main guess going around is that a lot of the sites had their fail-safes activated, the kind you can't turn off. Some of the more important ones might have blown up, but who knows for sure. No one's wanted to leave since we saw that ash cloud on the mainland. Silence. Footsteps continue for 11 minutes. Buzzing of insects can be heard in the background. Everyone. Everyone's here. I mean, except for the lucky 22, but we're not much compared to 8 billion. I'm walking on top of every superstar baseball player, every doctor, every construction worker and prison guard. Whoever's in charge was in charge of the Foundation. They're here too and every other Class D mixed right in with them. Not... Not so different anymore. <laughs> Sometimes I catch myself wondering if we're, you know, really the lucky ones here. I mean, some of those poor bastards were pulled out of the pile. They'd be better off dead for sure. And the rest of us? Maybe we should have stayed in there with them. Crazy talk, I know, but sometimes I wonder. Silence. 
footsteps continue for 18 minutes. The footsteps stop, and there's a slow, deep breathing, followed by the sound of wood gently being tapped. It's just... a house. A broken-down house. I mean, I knew it was. I saw it already back when it happened, but... I just thought maybe... There's silence for 27 seconds. You can hear the wind blowing. Then the sound of shifting fabric as a person sitting down. The muted buzzing of insects continues. They never figured out who lived here, you know. And they never figured out how it happened either. All that fancy tech they gathered up, and the only thing it told them was nothing. No reason. No point. Maybe it wasn't anything in the first place. Silence follows for 31 seconds. You can hear the wind blowing again. Maybe something just decided that day that we all had to come home. End transcript. SCP-087 Object Class Euclid SCP-087 is located on the campus of The doorway leading to SCP-087 is constructed of reinforced steel with an electro-release lock mechanism. It has been disguised to resemble a janitorial closet consistent with the design of the building. The lock mechanism on the doorknob will not release unless said volts are applied in conjunction with counterclockwise rotation of the key. The inside of the door is lined with 6 centimeters of industrial foam padding. Due to the results of the final exploration, see document 087-4, no personnel are permitted to access SCP-087. SCP-087 is an unlit platform staircase. Stairs descend on a 38-degree angle for 13 steps before reaching a semicircular platform of approximately 3 meters in diameter. Descent direction rotates 180 degrees at each platform. The design of SCP-087 limits subjects to a visual range of approximately one and a half flights. A light source is required for any subject exploring SCP-087 as there are no lighting fixtures or windows present. Lighting sources brighter than 75 watts have shown to be ineffective, as SCP-087 seems to absorb excess light. Subject reports and audio recordings confirm the distressed vocalizations from what is presumed to be a child between the ages of Herolf and Nesnevas. The source of the distress calls is estimated to be located approximately 200 meters below the initial platform. However, any attempts to descend the staircase have failed to bring subjects closer to the source. The depth of the descent calculated from Exploration 4 is the longest exploration, is shown to be far beyond both the possible structure of both the building and geological surroundings. At this time, it is unknown if SCP-087 has an endpoint. SCP-087 has undergone four video-recorded explorations by Class D personnel. Each subject conducting an exploration has encountered SCP-087-1, which appears as a face with no visible pupils, nostrils, or mouth. The nature of SCP-087-1 is entirely unclear, but it has been determined that it is not the source of the pleading. 
Subjects exhibit feelings of intense paranoia and fear when faced with SCP-087-1, but it is undetermined whether said feelings are abnormal or simply natural reactions. Addendum Over a period of two weeks following Exploration 4, several members and staff of the Redacted campus reported knocking at a variable rate of 1 to 2 seconds per knock coming from the interior of SCP-087. The door leading to SCP-087 has been fitted with 6 centimeter thick industrial padding. All reports of knocking have ceased. Authorized personnel may refer to documents of 087-1 through 087-4 for transcripts of Explorations 1 through 4. Document number 87-1, Exploration 1. D-8432 is a 43-year-old Caucasian male of average build and appearance and unremarkable psychological background. Class D designation is a result of demotion due to his mishandling of SCP. D-8432 is equipped with a 75-watt flood lamp with battery power capable of lasting 24 hours, a handheld camcorder fitted with a transmission stream, and an audio headset for communications with Dr. Soviet out of control. D-843 steps through a doorway onto the initial platform. Despite the wattage, the flood lamp only illuminates the first nine steps. The second platform is not visible. It's fucking dark. Is your flood lamp functioning properly? D-8432 shines the light out the door and into the academic building's hallway. The light reaches significantly further. Yeah, it's working. It just won't light these stairs all the way down. Thank you. Please continue. D-8432 descends for 13 steps before reaching the second platform. The platform is in the shape of a semicircle with an apparently concrete surface and walls. There are no distinct markings, aside from the nondescript patches of dust, dirt, or wear consistent with that found in a typical concrete stairwell. D-8432 rotates 180 degrees to begin descent down the second flight, and then pauses. Is there a reason for stopping? You hear that? It's a fucking kid down there. That sounds like one. None of the described audio is feeding through the camera or mic at this time. Can you please describe the sound? Uh, it's young. Either female or a very young boy. It's crying and sobbing and saying, Please. Help. Please. Yeah, it just keeps repeating that and crying. Can you estimate its distance from your current location? Fuck, I, I, I don't know, maybe 200 meters down? Please continue down the next flight. The subject descends another 13 steps. As he reaches the landing, audio of the child as described is picked up. The child alternates between sobbing, wailing, and the words, please, help, and down here. The level of audio is consistent with D-8432's report of it being approximately 200 meters below. Can you still hear the crying? Yeah. We're picking it up as well. Please continue down. Stop if you notice any changes in the audio or environment. 
the subject descends another three flights of stairs before stopping. You want me to keep going? Please. D-432 continues another 17 flights, total of 22 flights, before stopping. There are no visual changes in the environment, and each flight has been a consistent 13 steps. I'm not getting any fucking closer to that kid. Stereo audio confirms that the crawling noise has not increased in volume and remains approximately 200 meters below the subject. Noted. Please continue. The subject continues another 28 flights before stopping, 50 flights total. DD-432 is standing on the 51st landing, counting the initial ground level landing. D-8432 is estimated to be 200 meters below the initial platform. 34 minutes have elapsed. The volume of the crying has not increased. I feel a little uneasy. You spent a lot of time in a dark, unknown stairwell. It's natural. Please continue. The subject hesitates before stepping down on the next stair. As the subject moves forward, the flood lamp illuminates a face located approximately at the bottom of the flight, SCP-087-1. It appears to be the same size and shape as a human head, except it is lacking a mouth, nostrils, and pupils. The face is completely motionless, but is making direct eye contact, indicating its awareness of D-8432. Fuck! What the fuck is that? Shit, holy fucking shit, what the fuck? Can you please describe what you see? It's some sort of fucking person face thing and it's fucking looking right at me. Fuck, it's looking right at me. Is it moving? No, it's just, it's just staring at me. Fuck, it's creepy. Please approach it and further illuminate the entity. Fuck, fuck, fuck. I, I, I don't want to fucking... The face jerks forward about 50 centimeters, directly toward D-8432. Fuck, 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 fuck! D-8432 enters a panicked state and rapidly ascends SCP-087. D-8432 reaches the ground floor in 18 minutes, at which time he collapses and passes out. There is no sign of SCP-87-1. Review of the footage indicates an equal number of flights and steps ascending as descending. Audio of the crying and pleading remains at the same volume until the last flight, at which point it ceases. Medical reports indicate collapse was a result of the rapid ascension of the stairs, causing fatigue. Exploration 2 D-9035 is a 28-year-old African-American male of strong build. Psychological background indicates no abnormalities except an extreme hatred for women. Subject has an extensive record of... D-9035 is equipped with a 100-watt flood lamp with battery power capable of lasting 24 hours, a handheld camcorder fitted with a transmission stream, and an audio headset for communication with Dr. Seviet at control. D-9035 is also equipped with a backpack containing a hundred small LED lights with adhesive backs and battery lives of approximately three weeks. Lights turn on and off by compressing them. D-9035 shines the flood lamp down the first flight of stairs. 
despite the extra wattage, the light does not illuminate beyond the ninth step. You want me to go down there, Doc? Please shine your floodlamp outside of SCP-87 to verify it's functioning properly. D-9035 shines the light into the hallway. Comparison with the footage from Exploration 1 confirms it is indeed brighter. Thank you. Please continue to the first landing. Doc, I, I know what you said and all, but I, I don't think I want to go down there. Please continue to the first landing. D-9035 pauses for 18 seconds, then descends 13 steps to the first landing and stops. Is that a kid? Please remove one of the adhesive lights and affix it to the wall on the landing. Doc, you hear that? Is that kid down here? That's unconfirmed. Please affix an adhesive light to the wall and verify it functions. D-9035 hesitates, then removes one of the lights from its backpack and adheres it to the wall. He presses on the light and turns it on. Please turn off your flood lamp. D-9035 hesitates again before turning off the lamp. The LED illuminates the landing, but does not extend beyond the first step either way. Thank you. You may turn your flood lamp back on. Please continue to descend. At each landing, affix an LED light to the wall and turn it on. If you notice anything unusual, please report it. D-9035 turns the flood lamp back on, then descends to the next flight of stairs. As he sets foot on the landing, the audio picks up the sounds of a pleading and crying, consistent with those of the first exploration. Can you still hear the previously reported audio? Uh, yeah. She sounds about 150, maybe 200 meters down. Am I supposed to get her? Look, Doc, I don't do good with kids. Please place the line to continue down until you notice anything unusual. The subject adheres the light to the wall and turns it on, then continues to the next landing. He adheres the third LED light to the wall and turns it on. D-9035 continues in this manner for the next 25 flights before stopping. I don't think I'm getting any closer to the kid, Doc. How far below would you estimate the source of the sound to be? Same as before. 150, 200 meters down. Thank you. Please, proceed. D-9035 continues in the same fashion for the next 24 flights. At the 51st landing, he stops. Footage shows an arced gouge in the concrete wall, estimated to be approximately 50 centimeters long and 10 centimeters wide. The first step down from the landing appears to be completely smashed into rubble. You see that? Yes. Can you please describe what you see? Looks like something slashed to the wall and steps over here is all crumbled up and stuff. Slash marks look really smooth. D-9035 touches the gouge mark. Yeah, it's smooth. It feels like glass. Thank you. Please continue down. Look, Doc, I I've gone far enough. Please continue, as per our agreement. I don't want to be doing this uh, agreement or not. D-9035 steps over the destroyed step and continues down the staircase. Nothing is notable at the next landing. 
9035 adheres an LED to the wall and continues in the same fashion for another 38 flights. The sound of the crying and pleading has still not gotten closer. D-9035 is on the 89th landing, and 74 minutes have elapsed from the beginning of the exploration. Subject is estimated to be 350 meters below the initial platform. I feel like the kid's just trying to lure me down here, Doc. I, I think it's time for me to... D-9035 stops talking and moving as the flood lamp illuminates SCP-087-1. The face is staring directly at D-9035, again indicating awareness of the subject's presence. Although SCP-087-1 appears to be unmoving, its location is 38 flights below the initial encounter in Exploration 1, indicating it is mobile. Is there a reason you've stopped? D-9035 is unresponsive. D-9035's breathing grows labored. SCP-087-1 remains immobile for an additional 13 seconds. SCP-087-1 blinks. D-9035 can be yelling and making incomprehensible sounds. SCP-087-1 jerks forward until it is approximately 90 meters from D-9035. Subject turns and flees up the stairs. Please relax and calm down. Turn around. We need a closer look at that face. D-9035 ignores the doctor and continues rapid ascent. He continues to scream incomprehensibly. D-9035, can you hear me? Please, slow down. D-9035 is unresponsive and continues rapidly climbing the stairs. His screaming diminishes to babbling. After ascending 72 flights, D-9035 collapses on the 17th landing. D-9035, can you hear me? D-9035 is unresponsive, but labored breathing can be heard through the audio feed. For the next 14 minutes, D-9035 is immobile. The visual feed is black, and the audio picks up only the subject's breathing and the continuous pleading coming from below. After 14 minutes and 32 seconds of unchanging visual and audio feeds, the sound of a rapid heartbeat not consistent with a human heartbeat and a low crackling noise is heard. Seven seconds later, D-9035 gasps and revives, continuing his ascent of the stairs rapidly and wordlessly. The heartbeat and cracking cease, and nothing abnormal is detected on the visual feed. He remains unresponsive. D-9035 exits SCP-087 and sits on the floor outside of the entrance. D-9035 then enters a catatonic state from which he has not yet recovered. Exploration 3 D-9884 is a 23-year-old female of average build and appearance. Psychological background indicates a history of depression. Psychological background indicates a history of depression. Subject has a minimal record of using excessive force to... D-9884 is equipped with a 75-watt flood lamp with battery power capable of lasting 24 hours, a handheld camcorder fitted with a transmission stream, and an audio headset for communication with Dr. Seviet at control. D-9884 is also equipped with a backpack containing 3.75 liters of water, 15 nutrient bars, and one thermal blanket. 
D9884 stands on the ground level landing of SCP-087. The flood lamp illuminates only the first nine steps. LED lights placed on the wall during the last exploration are not visible. Please descend the first flight and examine the landing wall. D9884 descends 13 steps and stops at the landing. There is no trace of the LED light at the location footage from Exploration 2 indicates it was placed. Yeah, uh, it's just a dirty concrete wall. There's like nothing on it. No, wait, it, it's a little sticky right here. D9884 indicates the spot on the wall the LED light should have been located. There's a child crying down there. She's... She's begging for help and crying. Thank you. Please continue down the steps until you notice anything unusual. D9884 descends. Upon reaching the next landing, audio of the crying child consistent with the prior two explorations is picked up. No LED lights appear to be present on any of the landing walls. D9884 continues with no incident until she reaches the 17th landing. Uh, there's something on the ground here and it smells really bad. It's all sticky and stuck on my shoe. That's uh, gross. Video feed confirms presence of a substance occupying a space approximately 50 centimeters in diameter. Can you describe the scent? Uh, kind of smells like old rusty metal and piss. Thank you. Please continue until you notice anything else. D9884 continues to the 51st landing without incident. The 51st landing remains unchanged from the previous expedition and similar observations are made. D9884 is asked again to descend until anything unusual is noticed. Subject continues her descent until the 89th landing is reached. The video feed jerks and the subject yells. <laughs> Fuck! There's a hole in the ground. I almost fell in. Video feed confirms the presence of a hole approximately one meter in diameter. The subject shines the floodlight down, revealing only blackness. Approximately four seconds pass, and a light of indeterminate distance down the hole flicks for approximately two seconds, and then back off. There's a light down there. It's gone now, but it was on for like a second. Did you see it? Yes. Can you estimate the depth of this hole? No way. It's too deep. At least a kilometer. Like way more than a kilometer. Thank you. Can you still hear the sounds of the child? Uh-huh. She still sounds far away. I don't feel like I'm getting any closer. It's like for every step I take, she takes one down. Please continue down until you encounter anything unusual. D9884 continues to descend SCP-087 for approximately an hour, covering an additional 164 flights. She stops to rest on the 253rd landing, consuming one nutrient bar and several gulps of water. D9884 is an estimated 1.1 kilometers below the initial landing, yet the sound of the child has not changed in volume. After pausing for four minutes, D9884 resumes her descent, making no stops for another 216 flights. One and a half hours later, D9884 is on the 469th landing, an approximate 1.8 kilometers below ground level. I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. 
I think it's time I went back. I mean, going down is one thing, but it's a long climb back. You have been provided with food, water, and blankets to last you 24 hours. Please continue down. No, I think I'm going to go back up. D-9884 turns toward the previous flight of stairs, and then screams. SCP-087, the face, is directly behind D-9884, blocking her ascent. The face appears approximately 30 centimeters from the lens of the camera. Its eyes are fixed directly on the lens, this time looking not at the subject, but the person viewing the video feed. The video feed glitches and freezes for four seconds, accompanied by a static-like screeching noise from the audio feed. It then cuts to bumpy visuals of D-9884 descending the stairs rapidly. It's been following me. This whole time it's been right behind me. God, it's, it's right behind me. It was looking right at me. Doctor, please do something. Please help me. Get it away from me, please. I knew it was following me. Help me make it leave, please. No, it was looking at me. It was staring at me. It knew I was here. It's been watching me this whole time. Oh, God, please. Please help me. This continues in a similar fashion until the end. D-9884 continues to scream and plead hysterically as she rapidly descends the staircase. The previously heard static-like screeching seems to overlay the audio feed, beneath which can still be heard the original sound of the crying child. Approximately 14 flights down, the video feed swings to show the area directly behind D-9884. The face is now approximately 20 centimeters away from the camera lens. It is not staring at the subject, rather it is fixated on the camera lens, giving the illusion of it making eye contact with those viewing the footage. It is important to note that since the sighting of SCP-087-1, the sound of the girl crying and pleading has been increasing in volume, indicating D-9884 is nearing the source. After an approximate 150 panicked flights of descent with three visual confirmations of SCP-087-1 still in pursuit, D-9884 trips and appears to fall unconscious. Audio feed indicates strong proximity to the source of the crime. Static and screeching noise continue. Video feed shows yet another descending flight of stairs, indicating D-9884 still has not reached the base of the stairwell. Twelve seconds of motionlessness pass before the face comes into full view of the camera, eye contact being made directly with the viewer. Audio and video feeds cut out, and no connection is reestablished.